Hello everyone, this is Karina Eglinton and we are back with another episode of our Gifted Trauma podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the way that gifted trauma impacts our awareness of our own needs and learning to become aware of our needs, which we might not be otherwise when we are in a trauma state. So I'm here with my dear friend and mentor, Jennifer Harvey Salam. And uh, we're going to be exploring a little bit uh, about theoretical aspects of how to think about needs. And we're going to be exploring a little bit of our own stories with uh, getting acquainted with our own gifted needs and what that means. And the reason why we're thinking about gifted needs is because, uh, as many of you know, I'm taking over Jen's Legitimizing Your Gifted Needs workshop, which is a very popular workshop at Intergifted. And, um, and so in conversations about it, the, the topic of gifted needs has been really fresh on our minds. So we don't want to give away a lot of what's going to happen in the workshop, but we definitely want to give you a sense of how you're thinking about it and uh, share some of our experience so that you can yourself start to explore what your gifted needs are, especially if you've had gifted trauma, and start recognizing and meeting those needs in your life. One of the things that we know about what happens with trauma and needs is that gifted trauma often takes us out of the immediacy of experience, the, the in the moment, here and now, body felt sense of experience into a realm that is more symbolic and at times more black and white, um, you could say more in the head. So Jen, uh, would you elaborate a little bit more on this and tell us about what that's like and what that means. Yes, I'll be happy to. So I'm happy to be back here with you today, Karin, and, uh, and with all of the listeners. And I hope that all of our podcasts episodes are, um, are benefiting you all in some way or another. We're loving hearing your feedback and uh, following the discussions that are happening as a result of you listening and engaging with the themes that we're talking about. So thank you all for that. Um, and thank you to you, Karen, for taking over my workshop as Intergifted Grows. Uh, all of our listeners who are part of our community know that uh, it's a lot of demand on my time and energy, and um, I simply can't do it all. So I'm really happy to be able to continue to um, offer the workshop through Intergifted, thanks to your facilitating it. Um, yeah, thank you. I'm super excited to be doing this, and thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, and well, of course, and you're perfectly placed to to offer this because as we'll explore today together in this recording, uh, you've gone through the process of <laughs> figuring out your needs, even when it was not so, so simple uh, on your yeah. journey. Um, so yeah, a, a little dive into kind of what can happen uh, when we have gifted needs because if we're a gifted person we have these gifted specific needs just like any um, particular uh, human experience so if you're um, a female you have uh, female specific needs if you're a cat you have cat specific needs if you're a tree you have tree specific needs um, you know each uh, living being has its own set of needs uh, that are particular to its own makeup and uh, that includes for gifted people that includes this gifted specific thing that a non-gifted person is not going to experience uh, just by virtue of their own uh, makeup. And 
uh, naturally, I mean, I joke about this often in my work that like in school, we don't get taught typically, I mean, like in, in, in basic schooling, unless you go to school to become a, psych a psychologist or something, um, we don't get taught about what our basic needs are, our basic emotional needs, our basic um, belonging needs, our basic needs for self-esteem, for intellectual and um, aesthetic stimulation uh, and connection uh, and and our needs for understanding life meaning and having a sort of somewhat philosophical, even if it's simple, but a philosophical basis um, for our sense of meaning. So that's not just this, you know, kind of floating thing that feels uh, untethered to anything in, in reality or to other people or our connections with other people. Um, we don't, I mean, nobody's talking about this. People aren't, in, in school, I mean, you know, no, we're not getting classes on values and, and, and all of these things. And so a lot of us, most of us are just trying to do our best. You know, we know all the math uh, and, and history dates and uh, all of the, you know, the, the technical details that we have to like do rote memory for in school. But we often are just really blind to our own uh, personal experience and our own personal needs. And um, even for psychologists, and again, this is something I joke about a lot in my work, but, you know, studying to be a psychologist, you realize that a lot of people who are studying to become psychologists are doing so because they have no idea either, you know, uh -huh. there, there, there's oftentimes, and I, it was certainly a part of why I went to study is like, I had to, I had to figure things out because like my life wasn't going very well. I wasn't understanding my basic needs or how to meet them. Um, so me studying psychology was in part uh, linked to that. I mean, I did have a, a a serious interest in the topic as well, but there was certainly a part, uh, and I saw that with most of my other uh, my my fellow students that that was certainly a part for them, and sometimes it was the majority of it. You know, just trying to figure themselves out. So you have the you know the entire population for the most part of the world um, who's not getting this level of education, you know, self self awareness education, uh, growing up. And then you have the gifted aspect, which is like, of course, that's such a minority that who, what school besides some highly, highly specialized school is going to talk about it. And as any of us who went through gifted education knows, um, uh, even if you're in gifted specialized education, they're typically not talking about your gifted specific needs, mm -hmm. development and gifted values and whatever. Um, so, I mean, I... Can I say something there? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, of course. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of highlight that because we've had so many conversations about uh, how the, we don't work under the achievement model at Intergifted, for example. Yeah. And, and I can imagine, even though I wasn't part of a gifted education program, that it's a lot more about what you can give or provide or do for society and, you know, like what you can accomplish in that, in a sense, what you can provide rather than what you need. Yeah, I think there's a mix. I mean, some of them are, um, some of them are like that, and some of them tend more toward um, like providing ample cognitive stimulation uh, for mm -hmm. for kids, learning stimulation. And I think, I mean, that's nice. It's 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 half of the story, you know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the ones that are super achievement based um, and like em like with the eminence model, we typically call it. Uh, where it's like, okay, now you have to go, you know, cure cancer. Uh, otherwise, you've let society down because you haven't used your your intellect or this, you know, this kind of it's a philosophical stance that's that's in my view quite problematic. But yeah, there are a lot of them that are 
really helping you understand, you know, that you need more stimulation, more intellectual stimulation, that um, you need to learn across more disciplines than the average person and so on and so forth. And so that's all positive, but it's very, very limited to, um, to, to learning about stuff and, you know, stuff on the outside. It's sort of an externally focused thing. Like how can you learn the most or how can you enjoy learning the most? And that, you know, that when I do assessments, that's a huge part of the profile. Like how does a person learn and how do they learn best and what kind of intellectual stimulation do they need? But that's only half of it. Yeah. The other half is what is your emotional reality? What is your, um, what are your like psychological needs? What, what do you need as a human being? Mm-hmm. Yeah, specific, but as a human being, not just as a learner, a uh, performer, you know? Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. when you're not, you know, curing cancer what are you doing with yourself and is it healthy and are you getting are you able to meet your basic social needs your basic needs for self-esteem your basic needs for um uh for purpose and meaning and these kinds of things and that's no i didn't get any of that in my gifted education (laughs) and to this day i've never had anybody tell me that they did get it and i've worked with a lot of gifted people over the last decade but um i you know if if anybody has um a counterexample, please write us because I'd love to hear about it. I'm always looking for counterexamples. I don't like to assume that I, I know it, you know, that I, I know it all just because I've met a lot of people, but I have never heard about a gifted education program providing gifted needs specific other than the cognitive aspect. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that just paints the, you know, the contextual picture to think about a gifted person um, you know, working through their, their self-modeling of what their needs are, like, what are their human needs? What are their basic human needs? So what's often happening for people, and this is one of the major sources of gifted trauma, typically, is that the uh, non-gifted majority population is Uh, defining naturally because it is the majority so they're defining like the societal view on what needs are so you should be satisfied if whatever you get married Mm -hmm. you have an awesome instagram account you find a great partner you have kids you have an awesome job you make a lot of money or some mixture of those or you know one specifically or some mixture of those or or whatever um and if you're really great you know, even in the norm society, if you're really great, then uh, maybe you'll, you will cure cancer or, you know, you'll do something extraordinary that fits into the, the normal, uh, the, the norm goals, so to speak, or the, the norm needs. Um, and so what a lot of gifted people hear is like, you're never satisfied with anything. What's wrong with you? Why do you always have to have to go the next, you know, to the next step? Why can't you just be satisfied? You already have a lot of money, or if that's the case, you know, you already have a great salary, you already have a great job, you already uh, have a partner. Why do you need it to be better than it is? Why do you always need to, you know, change change it around? Or as kids, you know, like, why isn't it good enough? You have a gifted school, you have whatever, if that's the case. Just this this, this constant pressure that you should just be satisfied with what the norm is, because the projection from the non-gifted person is often, not always, but is often um, if I were in your shoes and I was able to accomplish what you can accomplish, mm-hmm. then I'd be satisfied. So you don't, it's, it's implicit. You don't have a right to not be satisfied because right. you're, you know, and this is, this is a, a typically uh, traumatic 
relational point for a lot of people because, you know, it's not just that it happens one time. Okay. If it happened one time in your life, you could probably roll your eyes and say, well, that person just didn't get me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no problem, but it's, you know, every day from the time that you're conscious you hear it at school, you see it at work, you have it from your parents, you have it from partners, you have it from friends, you have it from, you know, the general societal uh, thing. I mean, it's in self-help books. It's, it's everywhere. If you do the seven steps, you should be happy. Yeah. The other day I heard it like, uh, you should be grateful with what you get also. Yeah. The small component as well. Which is really tricky because you should be grateful with what you get. On some level, that's a healthy way of looking at things. Yeah. On some level. But if it doesn't include like um, some sense of agency in terms of how you determine what you want and then you get, you know, I mean, if you have some agency in determining what you want and then you get some amount of that, um, yeah, probably at 80% 80 of getting what you want, you probably shouldn't expect more because like, now we're not in gifted land. We're just in reality land. Like mm-hmm. we don't get 100% of what we want. Nobody does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you're gifted or not, like that's just, you know, human reality land. And so, uh, so that's, there, there's something normal there, but that's often, these kinds of normative statements are often used, you know, almost against a gifted person to shut them. To, you know, I, 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 you know, that sounds like there's a lot of, um, uh, intention behind that. It's not always the case. Sometimes it is to shut them down actively, but sometimes it's like, you know, your parents really believe that they're doing the best for you by telling you to be content with what you have. Exactly. Yeah. I just had a client tell me the other day that like the word contentedness for him is like, you know, anathema. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, don't say that word. It's just, it, it's because it, he's heard it all his life. You should be content. And that's a lovely idea when you have enough of your basic needs met to be content. You know, if you have 50% of your basic needs content, uh, your 50% of your basic needs met, basic gifted needs included, right? Then, you know, you, yeah, you could start to feel some version of contentedness, maybe not 100% all the time, obviously, but you could start to feel, but it's like, if you're getting 10% of your, your basic needs, including your basic gifted needs met, um, you're just not going to feel content. And I, that's, it's, uh, it's patronizing and sort of, you know, ridiculous to, to, to use that normative model on somebody who's only getting their needs met at that level. But again, it's a projection issue because if I see that you're getting your gifted, your needs met, I don't know about your gifted needs because let's say I'm not gifted and that doesn't resonate for me. I don't have those feelings. I don't have that internal need. I'll look at you and I'll go, well, you are getting whatever 50 plus percent of your needs met. So what are you complaining about? So this kind of chronic uh, disorientation is something that can result in some sort of, you know, complex trauma uh, where you're like living in this constant disorientation. You don't know what ground you're standing on. You don't know what the rules of life are, uh, except that maybe you're not allowed to get your needs met for reasons you don't understand. You know, this kind of hopelessness that can come into the picture. So then speaking of the hopelessness that can come into the picture, that's exactly where the immediacy of not getting your needs met. So the somatic feeling that you have of that, you know, the, the, the sadness, like a heaviness in the heart, crying, um, you know, the, the feelings in the body, that's the immediacy of it. But then what can happen is when that keeps happening and happening, it's like a habit. 
it's like a life habit as though like your body has this habit and mm -hmm. it starts to typically develop some sort of symbology in your mind about it. So for a lot of gifted people, the one of the, like the, the, the main symbols that comes to my mind when I think about gifted trauma is the word alien. Yes. So I feel like an alien. This is uh -huh. the most common gifted thing that I hear um, in terms of, you know, unmet needs. I feel like an alien. And you start to see where that's symbolic and, and it, that it's comforting, you know, to some degree, symbolism can often be very comforting for us because it allows us to put a name to the pain. And I mean, any of us who have practiced mindfulness know, like, it's hard to sit with pain, <laughs> you know? especially when you have no idea how you're going to solve it. Yeah. And, and the, the no idea how to solve it is um, exactly the point that we're talking about today, because when you don't, when you're not able to be aware of your needs, uh, your gifted specific needs, you don't know how to solve them. You, you know, it, everything like getting your needs met requires that you be able to be aware of them first. And then, you know, you're able to take steps. You're able to identify resources. You're able to have courage to reach out. You're able to, there's room for um, experimentation and failure, you know, like it's a long process. And so if you can't even be aware of them, at, you know, to begin with, then you, there's no hope for getting them met. And that's where you start to see this, this hopelessness that, or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever immediate feeling um, that gets then into this habit that gets into these symbols, like I'm an alien. So with the concept of I'm an alien, which I hear all the time, and I grew up feeling that way 100%. Um, the problem is, and it's a very accurate symbol, because the problem is, if I'm an alien, um, to, you know, as far as we know, aliens, well, don't exist or may exist, we don't know. Um, but if they do exist, we have no idea what they're like. Yeah. We don't know what they need. And if I'm an alien here, that's kind of almost like it's irrelevant if I know what an alien needs on another planet because I'm here. So how am I supposed to know what my needs are when I live if I'm an alien? So you can start to see how you enter into this symbolic representation of, uh, of your own existence, of your own self. Yeah. And it becomes this loop in your head where, what does an alien need? I don't know. So you, you go back to that hopelessness, but instead of having to feel it in your body consciously, you can just mentalize it into this image. And again, you know, it's this weird mix of comforting and terribly sort of tragic, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's no, there's, there's nothing. What can you do? Like there's, there's no concrete steps when you say, well, I'm an alien. So how do I get my needs met? What are my needs? There's nothing. So what's fascinating and again, fascinating and slash tragic is, I mean, I've worked with so many profoundly gifted people over the years that, you know, they're, they're looking at me in sessions and going, I don't know what I need. I have no idea. How do I even find out? I have no point of reference, you know, and of course in our work together, that's a lot of what we're doing. We're, we're giving points of references where I'm giving mirroring and we are exploring, you know, what does the quote aliens needs look like and how can, how can we get them met? Um, but a lot of that work is even about getting out of the sim symbolism of alien and going, yeah, I know that's how you've represented it to yourself because to some degree that's been comforting, but the reality is you're human. Mm -hmm. And you have human needs. You just have this extra other thing that is not commonly defined in regular human experience, and that's the gifted set of needs. 
that nobody would have been able to help you with unless they happened to also be gifted and have had the support to identify their own gifted needs, which, you know, given where things were even 20 years ago, is highly unlikely. You know, yeah. gifted's only uh, existed less than four years. So, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and not that we're the only, uh, only organization around dedicated to this. There have been others that have been around longer, but still, I mean, we're talking, you know, in the decades, not in the, you know, centuries. Um, so, yeah. a and lot of this. So, I just want to say I'm like nodding vigorously and like raising my hand. <laughs> You're saying. I, I, I was like, hello, my name's Karen, and I'm an alien. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, and, and so, like, I want to hear from your experience. Um, so I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about, uh, you know, how this is relevant for you and how you've, you know, because I'm kind of talking on the theoretical level, but I, we'd lo I'd love to hear from you, and I'm sure the listeners would, about your own personal experience with this. Just quickly, though, I want to say that, um, I think, you know, this is, this is something organizationally that I've been really committed to, uh, you know, in my personal work uh, and theoretical work on giftedness and uh, in creating intergifted and cultivating the culture of intergifted is that it's really important. It's been because of my own journey and we'll probably, I'll probably share some of those details uh, later. Um, it's been really important to, to have a strong philosophical stance that, um, it's not cool to stay in the we're, we're aliens mentality yeah, because it's very dehumanizing. Again, it's, it can be an adaptive coping strategy during a time where you don't have resources to come back into your humanity and figure it out in a comfortable and safe way. But, um, you know, one of the issues has been that in, a, in, in some of the gifted I don't want to say gifted services, but you know, in some of the literature and some of the rhetoric and, and, and dialogue around giftedness in the in the gifted community, there has been um, a cultivation of this idea that you know we're aliens mm -hmm. to some degree, and uh, I think it's a harmful stance to take uh, because of the dehumanizing aspect. So I'm sure that's going to come out while we talk, but I just kind of wanted to mention that because it's something that you know has that I, I think a lot about behind the scenes, and I don't put explicitly out typically in our, you know, intergifted literature or in the community or whatever, it's implicit in, in everything that I create. But um, in the context of our conversation today, it, it felt like a, a good time to just say it a little bit more explicitly. Yeah, that's fantastic that you're saying that. I um, wholeheartedly agree. And you, you know, we, we have talked about it in our collaboration and behind the scenes quite a lot. Um, but I think that that was, that was one of the things that really attracted me to intergifted as I was discovering my own gifted discovery was, um, I don't know how I would have framed it back then, but now looking back, I see it as reading, reading the literature on giftedness and seeing a lot of these traits that are listed. It's like you might be gifted if yeah. you're always anxious, you're very perfectionistic, those things. And yeah, to a, to a degree, there are certain traits that you could say um, you might point towards giftedness. And it feels to me like a lot of those are, um, you know, like the marks of a hungry person. Mm. And then, um, and then your work, Jen, has in some ways dispelled the myth that these are essential to giftedness. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that is very hopeful 
And uh, I had one client who said to me, it was very funny, he said, um, well, I, I, I managed to connect with these friends and it was wonderful. Am I still gifted? Because I felt so connected. <laughs> it's like, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's uh, well, like there's humor in it, but there's also like a sadness to me to think that we might collectively imagine that we have to suffer to continue to be what we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and just kind of living with this idea that we should not or cannot uh, identify as fully human, that somehow there's, yeah, again, there's this alien thing. Um, yeah, it's somatically speaking, it keeps us in a, typically in a holding pattern, like so a physical holding pattern where we don't ground ourselves, you know, so this is kind of in some of the somatic language, but we don't ground ourselves on earth with humans, you know, mm -hmm. so we might be there, but a lot of people have talked to me, and I had the experience all the time growing up of being there, but not really being there. Yeah. yeah. So physically, I was performing and, and doing what I should do to look normal, uh, but mentally, I was like all in, a, in another, you know, area analyzing everything. Okay, that still hasn't entirely stopped for me <laughs> in the sense that sometimes my mind is just going, going, going. But overall, I feel safer to be in in my human body. And I realized that, um, there's, it's not, it's not a tragic situation. I am not an alien. I am a human and I can get my human needs met by both gifted and non-gifted people. Um, I can't get them all met, but I can get a lot of them met enough so that I can feel quote content. Um, and content isn't like, it's not also my version of content as a gifted person is not the same, uh, as, uh, let's say a non-gifted person's version of content because I need a lot typically I need a lot more intellectual stimulation to feel content and I need a lot more um you know connecting on meta levels with other people about you know very complex ideas and you know I, I need a, a lot of creating and creating across disciplines and all of these things that you know that's not the common that's not the common thing so um but I can find my own version of contentedness human contentedness and when when we operate from that point of view, then we come, there's a grounding. We actually come into this world. We come in here and, and we get out of, to some degree, we get out of that symbolism. Uh, we get back into our immediate experience. And then that's the place from which we can actually identify our needs, our gifted needs. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, to be honest, it's through the support of coaching or therapy or at least good peer mirroring from another gifted person. It's, it's really not likely that you'll find what your gifted needs are just by sitting at home and hoping. <laughs> it requires that really targeted mirroring for sure. Yeah. And really active engagement, you know, whether like, uh, whether you're at the place where the only, the only safe thing would that you would feel is active engagement would be like with a therapist or, um, or with books that are about this topic, or, you know, like, you maybe you're not in the place to just go meet gifted friends, like in our community or something, and, and, and just, you know, totally open up. Like, depending on where you're at in your life, you may not feel safe to do that. Um, but there's something you can do, there's something active you can do at any stage, wherever you're at, you know, for people who have been like, severely, severely traumatized, um, and live with, you know, really intense daily daily experiences of flashbacks and, and stuff regarding connecting 
you know, for them. Sometimes it's like connect through the books, connect through things like this, listen, you know, mm-hmm. without feeling like you have to engage directly first, you know, do that long enough to, to feel like you get grounded, you know, to feel like something's bringing you to the ground, to the earth where there are other safe people who can mirror things back to you uh, without you having to engage and take those very concrete risks that you would if you started coaching or if you, you know, came into our community and, and, you know, started very actively connecting. Um, And so it's like finding where you're at on that and then, you know, finding your humanity and then going, coming back down into it, into the immediacy of what your experience is now. Uh, And so a lot of the workshop is about giving words and models to that immediacy so that um, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, then of course you end up using symbolism again, yeah. <laughs> but you use it in, you use it um, as like a, a friendly collaborator or a friendly guide in your immediacy, as opposed to exclusively as a, as this external symbol that you can relate to uh, or that kind of, you know, that adapts to your situation in a, in a negative or, somehow destructive way this is much more like a friend that you can carry along with you to help keep you grounded yeah and provide some of those reference points that you were saying earlier without actually making it the reality so to speak it's interesting that you're bringing up that nuance because i'm thinking right now what is the best language to talk about it but the more language we use the more we just return to the symbolism aspect Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. so it's like uh, I, I love that you're saying it's like a friend because there's an aspect of a partnership that is not coercive, that is not like pushy. And, uh, and I love that idea of uh, relating to, to frameworks and concepts in that way. Yeah, because then they're, they're not just the, these, these symbols divorced from our regular experience and things that we can take action on today at any given moment. They're really yeah, they're, they're, they're symbols in the sense of, um, as I often say, like my, one of my favorite uh, sayings is like to wear the world like a light jacket. Mm-hmm. So they're symbols that you can put on depending on the weather and to help you get from here to there. You know, I put on my coat this morning when I had to walk for an appointment uh, down the road. You know, it was raining and I put on my coat and that helped me get from here to there. But I don't need to wear it all the time as a protection mechanism at home. And once I'm at my appointment and everything else, it's, you know it suits me to get to different places, but it's a light jacket and I can take it off at any time. It's not my skin and it's not, you know, yeah. something yeah. locked that, that can't, I can't unlock, you know? Yeah, that's great. So I'd love to hear from you uh, in terms of your personal experience with some of these things. Um, I know, of course, you know, we've worked together for years now, so I know many things, but I will still be really interested to hear um, the way that, you know, you relate to these concepts especially from where you're at right now and, and considering, you know, that you've worked really hard to get to where you're at right now. So you, you're really looking back on a story arc. That's- yeah, yeah, it's super interesting for me right now to, to look back and to take stock of the, the path that I've walked to get here and to think about it in terms, you know, with, with the symbolism of the alien that we we're talking about. Uh, as you know, I did also... Uh, identify as an alien like <laughs> I also came and said yes that's how I've been thinking about myself 
And one thing that is interesting to me is that even the idea or like even the moment where I could articulate this is how I feel, I feel like an alien, came really late in life for me. Mm. And I think that speaks to the, um, to the degree of how trauma had cut me off from my own experience, uh, cut me off from even being able to articulate how much it hurts or how, what, what a good fitting metaphor might be. So it, you know, it, it only happened, you know, like, let's say a year before I discovered giftedness, I was able to say, I, I felt like an alien all my life. And uh, that was an interesting uh, discovery. It was like, oh, that's why things don't fit. And I have a very felt sense of what kind of alien I would have been too. <laughs> I, I would be very, very large. <laughs> like a giant woman. <laughs> you know, somewhat uh, like, un, you know, like un, uncoordinated, I don't know like awkward in in that big body so that wherever I would go that I would draw glances and mm. you know try to like sit quietly and not draw attention but yet even drawing attention to myself because of the size even if I said nothing and did nothing yeah so that that is a you know like a very visceral representation of what it was like for me to to inhabit that space of uh, not getting needs met and trying to as we say you know we, we talk about take taking space and allowing oneself to take space or uh, trying to not take up space or trying to take up as little space as possible and um, in in many ways that's a fitting metaphor for how it was for me but um, it, it feels important for me to share that even before I could say I'm trying to not take up space and I'm trying to not draw glances and not be looked at like a monster. Uh, before that, I couldn't have said anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that might be, you know, a, a, an interesting mirror for some of our listeners because uh, a lot of times clients come to a session and uh, even if I ask them something like, what would you like or what would be good for you in the situation? There is a blankness, almost a blindness, yeah. a feeling of, I can't, I don't know what you're telling, like, what are you asking me? Yeah. And so um, when I was in high school, for instance, I had one teacher who reached out to me because he saw that I was struggling and he was very kind. And he sat with me one day and said, you know, how can I help you? I see that you're struggling and I don't know how to help you. Uh, I wasn't struggling academically. He was addressing my emotional struggles. Mm -hmm. And I and I just stared at him like I couldn't answer. I couldn't say anything. I, and so I, even today, I remember that blankness, that uh, there's an underlying fear, an underlying terror even, to, to even think of sharing my needs with another human being. Mm even though the resource would have been available if I had only had you know, a little bit more uh, past support to build on, then at that point of distress, there would have been somebody kind and understanding who would have been there for me. Yeah. But even that, it's like the starvation begat more starvation. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's the tragic part that we were talking about. Yeah. 
um, yeah. And so coming into, um, in, into working with you, John, and I also participated in the Gifted Needs Workshop back at the beginning. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I had done already a little bit of work on needs, a little. Enough, as I'm saying now, you know, enough as to create a bit of a scaffold where these ideas could land safely. And the safety aspect was super key, super, super important. Uh, having safety to feel that one needs something on one hand, and then the safety to feel like it's going to be okay to seek it out, right? I mean, like, let's not forget, we're talking about gifted trauma. We've talked about in, the, in our past episode how trauma is held in the body. And, uh, and as you were saying, Jen, there's this, uh, sense that the body be, you know goes into a loop in a, into a habitual let's say a hardened state or like a frozen state um, and in those states it's like it doesn't feel okay to you know it's not safe even enough to to reach out or to imagine that it's possible for that hunger to be met or for that need to be um, taken into account in a context, in a social context. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm trying to sort of backtrack what the steps were for me, like what key points happened where I was able to say, ah, yeah, this is something I need. Um, so the mirroring from gifted peers was one thing, which really resonates with what you were saying before, that feeling of not really being in on the earth like as a human and i remember uh having earlier conversation with uh with a peer and then um they were saying something around not feeling fully real having a sense of self that is not quite realized and that the ta like it, it pointed me towards a task <laughs> it was like ah this is what i need to do i need to feel real <laughs> But how? <laughs> but how? But even that was just like, okay, that yeah. was like step one. Yeah. I, ha I even have a question to ask. <laughs> yeah. How can I become real? And just like you're saying, there's an aspect of immediacy. And I think that's really what I'm trying to hone in on. That there's an aspect of immediacy that at times cannot even be described very well. But the moment that I was able to sink a little into my body to sense a direction then my body could say mm, perhaps in this direction try this yeah. without necessarily being able to describe what the try this was going to be to another person mm -hmm. it's almost like a leaning <laughs> like my body was leaning in a direction and then i could say okay i'm gonna lean in that direction and um back then when we were working on my gifted needs of course uh, you can hear it already, there's the biggest problem for me was belonging. My belonging needs were not met. And that was the thing that hurt the most. The thing that for me kept reinforcing the alien archetype. Once I had sort of explored a little bit what this leaning in the body was like, um, and that was challenging and scary, and 
yeah, hard to root into. Like it, I would go into it, then I would dissociate for a bit. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I would numb myself with other things. But it was like a progressive patient. Okay, let's try again. Mm-hmm. And then I was starting to be able to use words, like a few words for it. For example, um, knowing that I like being able to describe that I was struggling. Yeah. To, you know, like to other peers in the group. Um, and then Jen, you were suggesting to me to try and initiate conversations in the HEPG group back then. And that was sort of where the, the, the process started snowballing for me. Uh, where rather than focusing on the problem, you know, like I don't even want to say problem, on the process that I'd been in, okay, I'm an alien. How does an alien engage what does an alien need how does an alien talk like those kinds of things um i would just uh, sort of suspend disbelief for a little bit write something in the group cringe when i was going to press the button and then cringe waiting for responses but then the responses gave me that immediate feedback from the reality yeah and there was like ah this is a different experience yeah. And that was not in my head. It was simply, I did a thing, there was an outcome, and I'm receiving the effects of that outcome. And that started to help me build a language around it. Yeah. I, what you're saying is like so important. And I think for so many people listening that are in our community uh, or any of our groups, it's like, I mean, I hear this all the time from people. I'd love to post in the groups, but I'm so terrified. Every time I think about it, I just get so yeah. scared, you know, um, and the cringe, you know, exactly as you say, the cringe. But yeah. this, is a, this is all part of a process that is like, it comes from, okay, so it's, because it's really interesting listening to you talk about, you know, your, the, the sensed direction in your body and how you were only getting little snippets or little clues at a time. This is also something, and we'll link this in our, um, in our resources from here, but in Silver Huang's uh, article on um, giftedness and authenticity, she talked about these little puzzle pieces, you know, like yeah. in figuring, figuring out what she needed, figuring out who she, who she was as a twice exceptional person, like figuring out her own needs and her own direction, her own version of authenticity. It was like little puzzle pieces were like dropping from the sky, you know, just one by one. Uh-huh. And wanted to receive the full picture. It was like she had to go puzzle piece by puzzle piece. And that's similar to what you're describing here. This one puzzle piece is a felt sense in your body. So the felt sense in your body, I mean, anybody that's listening that has any, you know, kind of background awareness about what intuition is, typically that's what it is. You get a picture, you get, you know, there's, you get some image or some feeling or whatever. It's an intuition. And it's fascinating because um, intuition regarding problem solving of complex problems is like one of the strengths typically of gifted people. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that a lot of people come to me about is they'll say, it doesn't make any sense. I have such clear intuition when I, I, when my partner has a problem, I know exactly what to tell him or her Uh, when I'm at work and other people like my coworkers or my boss has a problem. I can, I'm the first one I I can solve it in five minutes. Um, When I am, you know, looking at politics, I could tell everybody what to do. I have intuitions about that. I have intuitions about everything on the outside. But when it comes to myself, I have no idea what to do. Yeah. 
And people feel like an enormous amount of shame about that because mm-hmm. they're like, if I, I mean, it's always, and we've said this before, I think in, in past episodes, if I'm so smart, why can't I dot, 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 take yeah. care of myself? Why can't I understand what I need? Why can't I just take action on what I need? And so on. And uh, this is, this is, you know, this is where trauma is very weird. And, and also my minority development is very weird unless you get the really, the, the exact right uh, minority development uh, guidance growing up, which most of us don't, most minorities don't typically. Um, uh, it's like you, 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 you get this great intuition for solving complex problems, not just because you're smart and it's magical, but because you took in a lot of data Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of years um and it and it gives you this you know wise intuition about things so that's why i said like in school we're like we're learning numbers dates of history you know um algebra and whatever else science and all the things um and we may develop really strong intuition about all of those things and, and things in external relationships and so on and so forth but then Again, we're getting so, such, we have such a paucity of data for our own internal needs and our own internal, um, you know, authenticity and, and drives and so on that int- like there's not enough data for intuition to develop. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly what happened for me um, because the more I interacted with peers who whose minds maybe not exactly the same but were working in similar enough ways that I could see that what I was doing was organic to me then it's like the 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 resolution of the picture started getting clear and clearer yeah and then uh very organically I started to develop a felt sense of self like that realness of the self and that sense of humanness started to emerge but not through like one single thing that i did i didn't problem solve it i couldn't have problem solved it it needed to come through the nourishment of uh repeated interactions yeah and every interaction gave me a little piece of data uh there was an ease that was happening in those interactions that made it feel so much like a bomb to all the experiences that i'd had with other people where I felt that empathic sense of awkwardness, like something's not flowing, but I don't know how and why. Mm-hmm. And here I was having conversations that were flowing beautifully for no particular reason, through no effort of the people involved. It was just happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and every single one of them felt like I was rewiring my nervous system through mm-hmm. just being in the experience but it's not like any at any moment i went to like interviewed other gifted people about gifted needs you know <laughs> <laughs> or you know i didn't go and ask them you know i asked peers so much for advice there was beautiful like um insight that came out of conversations but it wasn't like a, a goal-oriented thing yeah. so it's interesting too that it was, I mean, I did have a kind of self-development agenda to, to my overall process, but the engagements themselves didn't come from a place of, I'm going to get something out of here. Well, and here you just said something super important because the whole thing, I mean, this comes back to the question of being a human, um, is that each of these processes uh, takes, you know, maybe years to yeah. 
can happen organically. So it's just a growth process. It's not personal. It's not, I mean, it's just something that takes any human gifted or not some time to, to, to happen. Like you need enough data on these things to develop an intuition. Um, Cause of course, intuition isn't gifted specific either. Uh, you know, it's just a human thing that happens with enough data. And um, maybe, you know, as a gifted person, your, your um, intuition about things can be more complex if you have, but if you have enough data, you know, I, I grew up in, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, I grew up in a rather, <laughs> and I'm saying that euphemistically, a rather restrictive environment, mm-hmm. have access to a lot of intellectual resources. And, um, and so it's like, I didn't have a whole lot of data coming in. So even about a, a lot of intellectual things, I mean, I could have some sort of like logical intuition about things, but I couldn't have the same level of intuition that of somebody that let's say was studying at a a great school with tons of intellectual resources at their disposal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just a process that we, that we each have to have, that we each have to take that's going to take time and that's just human gifted or not. And I want to mention here and we'll put it in the list of resources as well um, that I've done some work on this topic about gifted child, uh, gifted adults in second childhoods. So mm-hmm. uh, the idea about you having to revisit previous stages of development, you know, in a gifted specific way. Um, and that's a good resource to look at when you're thinking about how do you, pl- like, cause you said like you had a, you had a personal development goal in mind or, or you know, trajectory in mind. Um, but it's also helpful to, to see what steps what like what things what what needs are there what are the steps what are the phases so that you don't go like all right because a lot of people do and i've been there all right i'm going to figure this all out by by the end of this year and then from there on out i'm not going to have any of these problems and it's it's just not like that it's very you know step oriented which most gifted people hate because (laughs) can't skip all of these steps and and understand the meta point and then it's all done um nope it's not like that um yeah, so there's this. It's it's an like it's a helpful point to for us to kind of uh, highlight here in the sense that it's a it's a human development thing, and and again, you know, this is why it's helpful to get out of the symbolism of, for example, as we're talking about today, uh, the alien because we don't know how aliens develop, we don't know what their developmental stages are, but we do know what human developmental stages are. We just have to figure out what are the gifted human developmental stages on top of the general human developmental stages. And so you may have a super asynchronous profile. You may be very developed in physics uh, or personal development or whatever realm you work in, or maybe several realms, you know, Uh, you could be a polymath uh, and you're doing a lot of things. Um, uh, And then uh, on this level, you may be really at a, you know, childhood stage and that's okay and that does that's that's okay (laughs) like that's fine and there's nothing wrong with you and you didn't you know screw up it's just the way it was because you didn't get enough data to develop your own intuition about those things and the good news is you know it's not going to take you as long as it would have in childhood because you have you have the intuition developed in other ways so you do have a structural understanding of intuition so you don't have to reinvent the wheel there you just have to 
find the intuition in these domains, you know, in the domain of your own self-understanding and the understanding of your needs. I, I'm very happy that you're bringing that up because it's come up also in discussions with clients like, well, if I'm, you know, how can it be different than in childhood? And yeah. that's, that's one very good point that you're making there. And um, it made me think of another um, sort of aspect that I also bring up in those cases, which is to say, it, it brings us back to that whole point about what's the immediacy of reality. And the immediacy of reality is, I'm in an adult body now. Back then, I was in a child's body. My nervous system was not developed fully. You know, it, it was in a completely different state. Mm -hmm. um, and because, you know, I've, I've had clients who have read your second childhoods um, article and been somewhat confused about, um, how, you know, how does one go about uh, capturing up those stages organically? Mm -hmm. And and yet, from an adult place where, it, you know, it, it can be confusing to enter the symbol of the child or the symbol of the adult, yeah, other than being in the immediate reality of this is where you're at. Yeah. Um, so I'm very glad that you that you bring that up. Um, you know, for anybody listening who feels um, a connection to that idea of second childhoods, which I definitely did at the time. And that was before the article was written. <laughs> and, and it was like somewhat embarrassing to me. Yeah, for a lot of people, there's so much. Like, I was like, okay, I know that's not, this is not going to be pretty. This is what I told myself. It's not going to be pretty because it's not elegant when you're learning to walk, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to keep telling myself this, like a mantra. Yeah. Um, but now looking back, I also know that there was an, a very adult aspect of me that was guiding me through it. It was telling me the mantra, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like I'm, I'm not in a regressed state. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny you say that about <laughs> it's not pretty because, you know, this is, this is kind of the time when I talk with people about what is – how do you like how do you manage because again this is a humanity issue how do you manage the not pretty sides of your life mm -hmm. you know and so as a gifted person if one of the not pretty sides of your life is you know stumbling around trying to learn how to walk in terms of the gifted needs question um then it's to sort of ask yourself who with whom am i safe with its ugliness yeah um, because a lot of people will go like oh i got to figure this out okay so i'm going to like talk to my partner about this every day and I'll just give them all of my ugly and hope that they'll still love me. And it's like, no, this is not necessarily work for your partner. This is not necessarily work for your friends. This is not necessarily, you know, work for, for your coworkers or something like this is something that like, if you have, I don't know, like a really ugly wound, let's say a terrible wound that needs care. You know, you go to a doctor because the doctor sees wounds all day and the doctor's like, there's no shame. Like, you, you know, you get, <laughs> sorry, you like, you get anal exams, you get like, you know, you get exams for all sorts of parts of your body that you maybe wouldn't want to be sharing in a normal situation with another person. Like, and the doctor does that all day. And so there's, it's just factual and there's nothing that, you know, there's no sort of shame around it or you don't have to like feel embarrassed. It's just, that's their job. So when, when, when somebody's going through this and it's particularly you know, they feel that it's particularly ugly that they're going through it mm -hmm. or that it's because it can be, I mean, it really can be 
exhausting. It can be very emotionally, I mean, you can go through periods where you look terribly emotionally immature. Um, you know, it, it's, it's an experiment, experimental territory, which ideally you would have been able to do when you were a kid because kids are safer to experiment and, you know, yeah. make a big mess and whatever. And, you know, they're kids, so you have to love them anyway, kind of thing. Um, <laughs> But there, it, that's a lot more risky as an adult. So these are times where I really I work with people a lot on saying, what what level of sharing about this uh, developmental journey for you is appropriate for each of the people in your life? And do you need supplemental people in your life that can handle the extra or that can handle the extra ugly or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so it's really identifying, you know, what is what is right for a, a professional? So a coach, a therapist, whatever. Um, and, you know, what's right for a therapist isn't right for a coach and what's right for a coach isn't right for a mentor. So it's even figuring out the differences between those and then what's right for a partner, what's right for friends, what's right to share around. And that's for a lot of people, that's also very um, grounding in the sense that, again, it brings the humanity aspect in because one of the things, one of the symbols that, um, that can come along with this is like, I'm completely alone. So maybe I'm a human, but I'm complete. So like, that's a, maybe a graduation from alien, but yeah. I'm a human, but I'm completely alone. That was one of mine. So, um, I had, you know, various symbols that I, in, that I used, uh, at different times in, you know, in any given week or whatever, which suited the, the mood of the moment. But one of mine was, I'm just a totally alone human, like as if I lived in a cave or something. And, um, I just had to take care of myself and, and that was it. And so that kind of thing is, um, is it's really grounding when you realize like interdependence is a human thing and there's no human that can just live alone and be okay. Like even if a person lives al like alone in a forest for um, 20, 20 years or something, like they still have the trees and the other animals around. Like there's, there's, there's something, you know, you can't just be in a, uh, in a cave, you know, for the rest of all time. And uh, so it's very grounding to realize that like, you'll probably need a village, the, the proverbial village, you'll probably need it to help you grow up. So yeah. closer friends, more distant friends, peers, acquaintances, maybe health, you know, health, mental health professionals, maybe personal development professionals, um, and so on and so forth. Like, and, and it's, it's safe, it's okay to identify, and it's safe to identify, like, this is what I can share with this person. This is what I can share with that person. Because that is a lot about growth. That, that's a lot of the growing up as a human thing, like figuring out what you need from, from which person um, and who's trained and able to provide you what. I mean, your parents can provide you certain things, but most parents aren't also your teachers. You know, parents aren't also your therapist if you need one when you're a kid. Um, parents aren't also, you know, your main peers. Mm -hmm. They might be sometimes your friend as well, but that always gets into kind of weird territory. So as you're growing up, you realize there's these different people who fulfill these different needs in my developmental journey. And that makes it a bit safer to have the ugliness that we all have as humans. You know, life is just full of, it's a big mix. You know, I have my great sides and I have my challenges and the parts of my life that are just not particularly pretty to look at, you know, aesthetically. So, um, uh, so yeah, it's, 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 can be, it can be really grounding to kind of have that discussion with people and go like, this is experimental. You get to try different people out. You get to try out different expressions with different people. 
And it's a hopeful journey in the sense that you will develop intuition as you go and you, as you experiment. And the, uh, the intuition will then compound, you know, over the time. And you'll end up with, a, you know, a stronger meta intuition. And then at some point, you know, you don't have to keep talking about these things as, quote, gifted needs. Then you just go about your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they become part of the immediate repertoire and they don't yeah. need so much of a symbol anymore. Yeah, which is always funny because I have lots of people who ask me, like, don't you ever get sick of talking about giftedness? And, I, and, and maybe I, I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but I always laugh because I'm like, well, I mean, this is my, this is my work. But outside of work, it's not like I'm just chatting about this all the time. You know, I'm just living. I don't think about it. Like when I'm just kind of, you know, doing my own thing, when I'm doing art, when I'm making music, when I'm taking a walk in nature, I'm not thinking, I don't think in giftedness terms. You know? <laughs> I'm just existing. I'm just being a human and, um, you know, having my, I, my immediate experience. It's only for the purpose of, uh, yeah, helping people with development and sometimes helping myself with development that I use this friendly, as we were saying before, very friendly, um, uh, you know, symbolic language or, or model, kind of a model of, of things, um, like a model, a linguistic model to help me make decisions and help me navigate some of the more complex um, aspects of, you know, human development. And and like with that, I'll just throw in there that, you know, this is something that will probably continue for the rest of my life. I don't intend, I don't expect. And, and so, and so since I don't expect it, I don't intend for that developmental process to stop. Like I will probably be experimenting till the day I die. I remember when my mentor told me that when I was about uh, my late twenties, she said, um, she's 30 years older than me. I think maybe I mentioned this again in another episode, but uh, she said, I said, I just want to, like, I want to get there, you know, so that I can just be okay. And she said, Jen, I'm 30 years older than you and you never get there. Trust me. <laughs> I try. And I'm still working on it. And I was like, so depressed after that for a while. Like, oh, this is terrible. And, uh, but again, when you come into your full humanity, and you know you ground into what we're talking about today you ground into the immediacy of your experience then and and you you know how to uh, interact with the world around you the different people the different um you know sources of support and exchange and mirroring and data well then you know be doing this for the rest of all time doesn't seem bad it's like oh okay well i can have that yeah, there's no boredom. It's infinite variations. No, and there's not threat either. I mean, because that's what a lot of people are working under. You know, figure it out, otherwise the rest of your life is going to be hell. No. It's yeah. Not, you know? I mean, yeah, there's a certain, um, what's it, like a critical mass or whatever that has to happen, of course. Like, I couldn't have just stayed in the in the dark how I was in my early 20s, for example, and then, like, lived an okay life. I mean, I... I went through, you know, the, the, the true, full, positive disintegration and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I got to a critical mass. And then it's like, well, so now I don't need it to be, like you said at the beginning, it doesn't need to be black and white. It doesn't need to be all or nothing. It's, it's okay for me that it's, you know, it, it varies from day to day. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's feeling, you know, 
more like 40%. <laughs> That's, those are the harder days. Sometimes it goes down to 30 and I'm like, mm, I'm not enjoying this at all. You know, that's when I'm taking quick action kind of thing. Yeah. Um, some days it's hovering over uh, around 80% and that feels good. And yeah. Well, speaking of percentages, I have sort of a multi-branched thought that I wanted to explore that relates to everything that you've been saying. And it's that on one branch, there's the idea of um, many gifted people, often gifted, traumatized people who, you know, I could say I was, I was there um, from what you're sharing. That was part of your experience as well. That idea of uh, wanting that some kind of all or nothing Mm. experience of needs met mm. and um and how we've we've seen that often like i said we we've experienced that and um yeah sort of the how that relates to to the trauma itself that idea that or not an idea but a representation of how the uh how fulfillment should come and in what form and how it's going to be when it happens and then it's going to be over. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you know, my experience tells me that you know the the blueprint, let's say, that I had in my head when I did get a blueprint in my head about some need being met, uh, or I could articulate it. Um, the the experience of living it became quite different from what I expected, and sometimes the path that I walked to get to it was completely in a different direction than I thought it was going to go. And um, I was thinking on one hand about, you know, some of our peers and community members who talk about the struggle of getting their needs met and how that on the other hand relates to the trauma and um, to the experience of, trying to do it a particular way over and over mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. so it's like i've tried and i've tried and i've tried to make friends and i can't you know, that would have mm -hmm. been <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. or um you know i had experiences many abusive experiences in my life and so it could have been i've tried and i've tried and i've tried to find safety and there is no safety yeah and i would add to that that a really common one is i've tried to find the right career i've tried and i've tried yes. and i've tried, and I've tried. Same. Yes, that was also part of my experience. So, you know, just taking random needs from the um, hierarchy of needs, for example, that, yeah, there's, there's, I've done it. I've, I've tried all these things. And um, what you're saying about basically what I would call cultivating the ecosystem, right? You try, you, tr you get to have experiences with different people, um, choose the person who, whose role is, you know, open and has the right space to receive a certain aspect of you. Um, choose the contexts that are going to create a safety for certain aspects and so on and so forth. Um, a, a lot of times when we're in the trauma space, and that this is what I, I guess I'm getting at, uh, it's very hard to, to imagine that that exists, that, the, that there's a logic break in some ways. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, at times I see it combined with, you know, like, for example, this um, popular ideology about being authentic and the idea that you need to bring all of you to every encounter. And then, um, you know, our, our people get, you know, shoot themselves in the foot by doing so in a way 
that is, you know, how the representation in the mind is imagined of yeah. how one brings oneself to every encounter. And then there's, you know, it creates a recipe for disaster, but adding the trauma layer, it also, um, we, we end up acting out the patterns that traumatized us in the first place. Yep. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to articulate that to say the thing that you're saying, Jen, about um, taking this moderate and very reasonable approach of cultivating your ecosystem patiently and experimenting with different people and looking for the right people for the right things and so on and so forth, that that can be just a, a completely revolutionary way of approaching things when we've been in the trauma land of repeating the same, trying the same thing, different iterations perhaps, but always the same thing. Yeah. And trying, and that includes, for example, for me and many others that I know, trying to bring all of who you are to every encounter, mm-hmm. trying really hard to get somebody to be your very good friend and, and really investing a lot in that one person. And it turns out it's not you, it's them. You know? <laughs> um, but in, in the traumatized state, which is filled with these representations of how things could work out or should work out, or in the idealized state, that, that, that ends up being quite different from the reality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, I see the career parallels, which are, it's one of the ones that I hear the most, you know. It, it's just maybe a bad career for you, but you know, the, 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 the investment that went into it is like so strong that it starts to warp the mind and then you, you know, it's, it's me, something's wrong with me and all of that. It's like, actually, maybe not, (laughs) maybe not at all, but it takes time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of experimentation and a lot of support mirroring and stuff to, to find the right way. It reminds me of, you know, when I was kind of going through my, my big, big positive disintegration, it was like, there was a certain point where I was like, okay, I'm just, I got to like change the way that I, I look at myself. And again, this, here we come to the symbolic level. And again, this clearly came out of, um, you know, trauma for me was like, um, I was like, okay, I have to be I have to be uh, a success. My authenticity is about authentic success. Mm-hmm. Kind of the full me showing up has to be this 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 thing. I have to be presentable and recognizable as a as a fill in the blank, whatever, like a an entrepreneurial success or whatever the the the, the symbol I put on it was the, that varied. The symbol varied from day to day, but essentially it was some version of this kind of successful person. And 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 my my development seemed like um, a problem. You know, the, the, the amount that I had to develop personally, you know, the, mm-hmm. my childhood seemed like a real problem for that goal. And yeah. so I had two things fighting against each other. And there was a point where I was like, okay, well, I guess I kind of have to look at my development as a personal project. And then maybe actually this is, this is what gets gravity in my life. Like, my life, like me, my being, so in the immediacy of my being, that's my personal project. Not becoming 
this external symbol that I've put on to give myself, you know, because for a lot of, for, for me, it was a lot of, you know, growing up being taught that women were inferior intellectually and that it was best if I just got married and had kids. And, you know, like I talked about in the last episode, um, and I really wanted to prove that wrong. Like I felt mm. that I had to prove that wrong by being an entrepreneurial success and all of these things. And then like, you know, I was getting close to my thirties and I was like, yeah, but why? Like, mm-hmm. so if I become that, then just like uh, to the detriment of this, like this, this self that's here today that I have to deal with, <laughs> you know, the one who can't identify her own needs and all of this, what, you know, this, this, these two things are not compatible. And so they must not both be essential, which one is essential. And it wasn't the entrepreneurial success story. Like it, there was no way I could argue to myself that that was the, that was going to be the essential to the detriment of my own personal, like personal, you know, thriving. Yeah. Um, so then it was like, well, this is going to have to be reframed in my mind. One of these has to take the, the, the essential spot. They can't keep fighting with each other. And so I was like, well, I guess I turned this into, this is my life project. I am my life's project. Mm-hmm. It's not my project to become a, you know, a successful entrepreneur. It is like my development is my life's project. Maybe successful entrepreneur, quote, quote, you know, emerges out of that organically, that process, but that's not, that's not the aim. That's just an external thing. So like when somebody's going, I need to belong, I need to have a best friend, I need mm-hmm. to not be there. I mean, these, these are all these, this, this, these are all these symbols that we're talking about that you can really get looped into. Um, mm-hmm. And for a lot of people with the career thing that you know, I keep bringing up, it's like, I'm such a loser. I can't figure it out. Or, um, you know, I, you know, I wasn't made for this world. And for some people that kind of have more, dare I say, narcissistic tendencies uh, that can turn into some kind of some weird beliefs about themselves. Like uh, if, if everybody would just do exactly what I think, then everything would be fine. And mm-hmm. so I need to convince, I need to like manipulate everybody or I need to convince everybody or this kind of, you know, I mean, we've all seen it. The, the person who is extremely intelligent, but also <laughs> kind of thinks they're God, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so then ends up being like um, demeaning to other people and using other people's objects in, in that story. And so, yeah, I mean, it can represent itself in all sorts of different ways. And so it's like kind of getting out of that symbolism and coming again back into the immediacy of like, well, this is my personal project. Yeah. I, my personal project and those other symbols like they might come and go during that personal project and I can enjoy them but again you know for me for example now being an entre- a quote successful entrepreneur it's like wearing a light coat you yeah because when I go for a walk in the woods I'm not thinking about that <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm just existing and I'm just enjoying the fact that I exist so it but I, I couldn't have done that back in the day I would have back in the day I would have been walking around thinking am I am I am I successful enough yet Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Yeah. Yeah. What trees are you talking about? I haven't seen it. You know, I'm too busy worried about whether, uh, you know, my income, you know, props up the fact that I, I'm a successful entrepreneur or something, you know, something along those lines. Okay. I'm being super uh, overgeneralizing here, but, uh, but you know, you get the point. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I have another 
example from another area of life of my own uh, that, you know, what, while you were saying this, I'm like, yes, 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 that's exactly right. Because, um, you know, I had my moment when I was very sick where, you know, I, I couldn't function and I was asking, you know, I had a diagnosis. The diagnosis said, this is never going away. And uh, you, so it might be that this is your new normal. And, and so I remember just lying there, not being able to properly think or anything and, and trying to figure out what am I doing with my life? (laughs) And so um, it was as though that loss of health forced me into the immediacy that I couldn't have, you know, like almost like I was too stubborn to see it otherwise. Um, Because then I had to say, well, my life is, just for my experience, because even if I tried to de- you know, define it in terms of some kind of symbol of achievement or a- an accomplishment, even if it's a self-defined one, I can't do it. Yep. So is my life going to be worth nothing from now on? Or do I realize, you know, <laughs> do I define, redefine my, um, my purpose of existence to be, I, I'm, the purpose of my existence. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, and we talked about it a little bit uh, in previous episodes, but uh, I had a similar journey that I got very, very sick. And it was obvious to me that, well, <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to, to fulfill this symbolic level of things yeah. that, I had, that I had, you know, dreamed up. Um, at least not in any way that I thought I was going to be able to do it. You know. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that that was that was during the whole um, uh, positive disintegration. In fact, it was mm, pretty much the main catalyst of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> I, know, I know. I sometimes think like, why, why this, why me? <laughs> and then it's like, well, I don't like to ascribe meaning to things like illness um, because you know I I did try to do that at the beginning again trying to symbolize the immediate experience which was very cruel and very self-violent and uh so i decided to stop doing that uh and and it was hard you know just for everybody listening it wasn't that i just decided to press pause on the thoughts uh it was hard but um yeah there there was an aspect of me that always thinks in parallels at least and it's like that's a very interesting parallel that i have had so much trouble uh, being with the immediate experience yeah. and then uh, an experience comes along that is so undeniable that I can't and do anything other than surrender to it yeah wow what an exploration yeah I think with that probably we'll wrap up unless you have any final thoughts well I I just uh, since we're talking about the well, since we're talking about illness and the yeah. I guess positive role shall we say that it played in our our own development mm-hmm. positive is a hard word to put to it but let's say I'm glad that I learned the things that I learned due to having been sick yeah yeah, yeah. but as since we're since we're on that topic it's making me think that I would actually like to um, take a minute to just let everybody know and let our listeners know and celebrate with you that um, Karin's community uh, writing and art compilation is going to be coming out soon on um, the intersection of 
giftedness and invisible disability, so chronic illness and other disabilities. Um, that's the, so the deadline for submissions was yesterday, so now Karin's going to be working on it, and we'll have it out to our uh, audience soon. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll put a link in our links from today's episode. I'll put a link to our bookshop, and stay tuned there because we'll be having it available there as soon as uh, as soon as it's ready. So really excited about that. Yeah, super excited. Thank you for remembering that because I did think about it when I was thinking of what I said, but then I yeah. forgot to say it. So thank you for reading my mind. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited. I've been reading the things coming in and they're so moving and so powerful and so, um, yeah, just a testimony to very hard experiences and the incredible resilience and resourcefulness of the people uh, sharing those experiences. So yeah, I can't wait to share this with the world. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I know I'm super excited and super grateful to you for, um, you know, all the effort that you've put into making this come to life. Thank you. And bringing this, uh, you know, conversation out to the public sphere because it's, it's really so important. Mm -hmm. And then along with that, since we're plugging things, we're going to be um, putting on uh, Karin's workshop on gifted needs, like we mentioned at the beginning. Um, that's going to be coming up soon. As soon as we have a full group, we will be scheduling it. So we have about half the spaces left right now, and we have a total of 10 spots available. So if you're interested in that, we're going to be putting the link uh, also uh, with the resources from this episode. And, or you can just simply email Karin. Uh, that's right. It's K-A-R-I-N at intergifted.com to register. Um, and then uh, we also have two other exciting workshops, well, more like courses coming up. Uh huh. One is for uh, embodied gifted, uh, embodied giftedness. Well, <laughs> that would be nice. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, mm -hmm. a, maybe a title for a future course. Um, embodied mindfulness for gifted people. And that's with, of course, our uh, wonderful coach, Kelly Pride. Um, so that's going to be going into in some ways, some of the themes that we talked about today, kind of, when we think, so, yeah. yeah, when we think about, you know, these, these small steps that Karin was talking about, you know, these puzzle pieces, these little moments, uh, th that's a lot of what is going to be in the embodied mindfulness course. Um, so that's four weeks long and that starts in June. Uh, we'll all, again, the link will be available along with the, the resources from this episode. And then finally, we have uh, Marion Key's Multi-Potentialites group coming up. And that is a six-month course, once a month, for gifted multi-potentialites. If you don't know what multi-potentialites is, it's somebody who's good at a lot of stuff and interested <laughs> in a lot of stuff, has a lot of passions across disciplines, and struggles often to identify exactly what they want to do with their life. And so as we're talking about gifted needs, um, you know, career-wise, one of the one of the important needs of a gifted multi-potentialite is to not be shamed for quote not being able to make a decision about their career, mm -hmm. um, or quote not being able to stick to one thing, and having support for understanding how to blend disciplines and how to validate their need for that particular combination of intellectual input, and then finding concrete ways to survive and thrive. You know 
having that particular cognitive makeup. Um, so that's with Marion Keane. She's she's a gifted multi-potentialite herself. She's got a really rich and wonderful history of in all sorts of domains. Um, so she's really well poised to be teaching that. So that link will be available as well. Yeah, we have brilliant stuff coming up. I'm very excited about those. Exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. Like we have so much interesting stuff coming up, like mm -hmm. more, more to be announced very soon. So um, oh, one other thing I'll mention uh, is that we also have uh, a new community that we've developed. Oh, yay. I'm glad you wanted to say that. Yay. Exactly. So with Kelly Pride's daughter, Marie Pride, uh, she is guiding and facilitating our adolescent community. So, uh, you know, anybody who's followed Intergifted's work knows that mostly we've been focused on gifted adults, uh, you know, for since we've been around. But we're moving slowly into the territory of supporting gifted adolescents. We still, we've always had coaching available, coaching support for gifted kids and adolescents. But in terms of community initiatives, this is the first time that we've been able to offer something to the adolescent crowd, still not the kids crowd. Sorry, everybody. We've had a lot of people write, but what about the kids younger than 13? Oh. We're, we're, we're taking it one, one step at a time. But, mm -hmm. um, but if you have you know, kids or if you're a teacher and you have students uh, or if you're a therapist and you have clients that are in the adolescent range, so between 13 and 18, we'd love to have them join. We'll put a link to the adolescent community page as well on our, um, on our resources from this episode. So again, we have more coming up, but I think we'll leave it at that for the time being. And you'll have to stay tuned for the other exciting things coming up. Oh, that's right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to discuss gifted needs and trauma with you today. Uh, like you said, it's, it can be a very tragic, but also very fascinating topic. And I can't imagine anybody I would rather spend it, the time discussing it with. Well, same here. Yeah. And, um, you know, thanks for your insight into the hopeful side of things. It's, it's beautiful to be able to hear about your journey and to hear how you've been able to connect, you know, the positive states, the thriving states with mm -hmm. these really tough parts of the journey. I mean, you and I have both been through it. We know the grief, the pain, the yes. anger, the shame, the really negative states um, that sometimes feel interminable and impossible to handle. And um, to have your, you know, your modeling and your insight on what is it like to be there and then to find little things you can do, you know, little mm -hmm. things to make it better. Like maybe you can't make it all better right away, but having those little things you can do and um, being able to go from, you know, like the profoundly gifted mindset that wants to go super fast and everything mm -hmm. else into the immediacy and the humanity that, you know, of your physical body and for you, you know, sometimes your ill physical body mm -hmm. and, you know, navigating that in a hopeful and constructive way. I think that's a beautiful example for so many people. So I appreciate your, you know, your honesty and openness in sharing with us and our audience. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So until next time, everybody, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you uh, after the episode. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.